I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode number 24, making our way through the 20s. Mr. LaCour, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. How you doing, James? I am fantastic. Um, I, I got all the links over to you, and I had to rip myself away from my keyboard because I'm doing some awesome stuff that I figured out how to do with my website. Um, and we have a lot of awesome stories to talk about. We do this every week. These are hand-selected by you folks. Whoever follows me at James Hahn II follows Mark LaCour at Mark underscore LaCour. That's L-A-C-O-U-R. We talk about the top stories that y'all click on, and we're going to kick it off with Buhari's War on Corruption. And this really plays into some things that we've been talking a lot about lately, Mark. Nigeria Petroleum Minister appointed to vital uh, appointment vital to overhaul corrupt oil industry. And you actually pointed out Nigeria on a previous episode of an example to look at. So let's talk about it. Yeah, so th- this this had has been needed to happen for a long time. And I'm actually surprised. I did not expect this to happen. But basically, um, after the current president, which uh, assumed office in May, he saw all the corruption that was going on. And you know what he's doing, James? He's freaking cleaning house. And I love it. He is firing people left and right. He got rid of the entire <laughs> oil cabinet i mean all of them got rid of all of them he, got, he fired the entire all cabinet yeah. oh man oh wow yeah, I mean, he he is kicking butt and taking names and he's working his way through the organization you know they have the nationalized oil company in nigeria it pr- produces about 70 percent of the country's wealth and there's billions and billions and billions of dollars that through corruption has not made it to the peoples of nigeria's um, accounts like it should have um, it's not went to actually serve the people so he's doing the right thing now the problem is right now he needs a um he needs a petroleum minister he doesn't have one so he needs a czar to to appoint and he's looking for that person uh, but he he did grab some senior talent from exxon and place right under the um petroleum minister so all he needs is to get that person above the exxon guy and continue to clean house and they may actually have a chance of getting this done now this isn't gonna happen overnight the corruption's been going on for 16 17 years now and so it's going to take a few years to get it out but this is the right thing to do as a that's the president of the country and it's the right thing to do for the, to the nigerian people and really it's the right thing to do to bring this part of africa up to the modern age so a petroleum minister is that like he's the ceo of the national oil company yes he will run the company and so he got rid of the old minister and now he's looking for a, one that's ethical and will do things the right way uh that's uh, i couldn't yeah so so uh, Imagine that um, American CEOs being called ministers. <laughs> right, right. It's it, a lot of the world. I mean, in the UK, they use different words and we use as, as well. But yeah, it's the same, same uh, thought. All right, moving on to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia may go broke before the U.S. oil industry buckles. What's that all about? I love this article. I actually had one of my Twitter followers send this to me uh, late last night or early this morning. I read it uh, this morning while the rest of the world was sleeping. Um so, you know, we've said this before, that the crude oil that the U.S. produces does not enter the global market yet because it's illegal. So it's it's really not a battle between Saudi Arabia um, trying to, to battle the global production of the U.S. shell producers because we, our oil doesn't hit the global market. Now, hopefully it will because it looks like there's a bipartisan um, um, petition in Congress right now to revoke the uh, export ban. But that's a separate subject. What this is talking about is that Saudi Arabia is having to dip into its savings account to keep business as usual running on these low crude prices. And we talked about this before in past shows. 
And if you think about that, if you think about having to dip in your savings account to keep your business running, that means there is an end at some point. At some point, you will run out of money. Um, and this is a very well-written article on, on exactly the factors that figure into that and the geopolitics, right? So Saudi Arabia has a lot of friends, quite honestly, because they spend a lot of money. So what happens when you that money starts drying up if you quit giving other countries billions and billions of dollars? Are they still your friends? And so you think about it that way. Um, you know, this article is 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 putting the the, the um, is bringing stuff to the surface that a lot of people may not have thought of, such as uh, political tensions in the Middle East changing, um, the the chances of the youth radicalizing more because they don't have these large social problems going on. Now, I say it's well written, has a lot of good points. I don't exactly agree with it. Um, I think um, Saudi Arabia, especially, is way smarter than than to start something to run out of money, uh, but time will tell. So we talk about their savings account. How much do they have, and how much time do they have? So that, that's a hard, so because they're not public, those those numbers aren't made available to the public. You know, I've seen um, some some very who I consider very well, very knowledgeable analysts say that, but basically, at their current burn rate, they have about twelve years worth of financial reserves built in. So that means. Um, if they continue doing everything they're doing now, they can last about 12 years. Now, I don't think they'll continue what they're doing now. You, you know, they're doing things like increasing refining capacity so they can start selling refined fuels. Well, that's money coming in the door. Um, you know, so so, but um, it, the, like I said, the article is very well written as far as the facts. I just don't necessarily agree with with the outcome. The 12 year rainy day fund. I got to get me one of them. <laughs> All right, is Waha? I, I I I pulled this out because you've been teaching me a lot about moving further and further down, um, you know, midstream, downstream, and in, in my my understanding around even electric electrical production, electricity, uh, and, and how that's distributed is pretty poor. So let's talk about that as it as it pertains to Mexico. Don't you like the word Waha? Waha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the Waha is a market. It's located on the Texas, um, the southwest Texas, um, uh, southeast New Mexico border, right on the Mexican border. So it's it's a U.S. market that's around the Mexican border. And basically, it's a hub, sort of like the Henry Hub in Louisiana as far as natural gas distribution. So this is a place where natural gas comes from all over the country and is put in one place and you can ship it in other, other places and other pipelines. Well, the country, Mexico, is shifting its electrical power generation from fuel oil, which is horribly, horrible for the environment. Very fuel costly. oil? How do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, most people in the U.S. Uh, haven't heard of fuel. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. How do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but they're switching to natural gas, which is much cleaner, much better for the environment, and actually, actually much more cost effective. And so this is an article about um, there's some proposed Mexican projects to put the infrastructure in place, think pipelines, to go from Oaxaca to the Mexican electrical gen new generating plants, which will be fired by natural gas. So, you know, from the Mexican point of view, this is great. It's increased the electrical production for their people. It'll decrease the pollution, which is also great for the Mexican people. Uh, for the people on our side of the border, we get another market to sell natural gas to. So, you know, it benefits all the operators in, in all the different frack fields that uh, their gas eventually ends up in Oaxaca. So this is just, it's just a great thing. So I'm still want to know what fuel oil is. So when you when you refine crude oil, you get the lighter, um, more volatile compounds, things like napa, gasoline, and you get heavier stuff like kerosene. Then you get even heavier stuff like diesel and jet fuel, right? And then you have stuff that's even heavier than that. And that's what fuel oil is. It's oh it's it's much closer to just crude than it is to anything else. 
Wow. Wow. So, so that, that, yeah, that, that's gotta be good for emissions. I no, it's fuel. Is hard. I don't know if you can even clean it up, um, but but it's good that the Mexican um, electrical generating facilities are moving towards natural gas and get rid of burning fuel oil. That's just horrible. All right, we took a quick a quick trip around the globe. Let's come back home uh, to Marathon Oil, uh, who who were both uh, professed fans of. So they got their uh, their oil. Uh, Marathon Oil reports second quarter 2015 results. I, this was actually linked off of Oil Pro um, being one of the one of the top you know things you you should look at. And uh, and the reason I, I I zeroed in on it is because it mentions efficiencies, which we've been talking a lot about. Yeah. So uh, as to be expected, you know, Marathon's an EP EMP company, upstream company. They're hurting right now, right? 2015 adjusted net loss of $155 million. <laughs> How would you like to have to go to your boss and say, hey, you know that $155 million I had? I, I lost it. <laughs> um, Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're doing all the right things, right? They're scaling back, they're cutting costs, they're increasing operational efficiency. They're actually, even though they're hurting, they're still spending money places that will pan out for them later. They're still investing in new technologies. Um, you know, they're, they're doing some miracle work on, on something called a three horizon stack and frack, uh, which is just a, a, a much more effective way um, to go into production on in a frack, frack well. So, you know, they're, they're, hunker down and they're doing the right things marathons can pull out this completely fine um they just need the price of crude go back up and and you know they're they're not the only one in this boat what is a stack and frack and what does that look like so what does it look like it it doesn't look much different than a normal well so basically on one pad site they'll they'll drill three horizontal wells at one pad site so instead of having one well on a pad you have three and then they stack the production when you, when you actually go to production they stack the production trees so you're you're producing from three wells but on one site make sense so yeah you got one christmas tree on site that's producing that's well you actually you actually you would have three trees that were stacked that's what i'm saying yeah, yeah. three trees that are stacked and pushing everything out all right, right, cool. So what's this about natural gas price uh, rise above $4 could be imminent? Yeah, this is in Seeking Alpha, and, and you know they're constantly trying to put financial data out there to help people make good decisions on investing, especially in the stock markets. Um, it, it's the, the, the production of natural gas looks like it's slowing down. It's way too early to tell, and I, and I have some issues with this because um, the, the, the finances don't always add up. If you're an operator right now and you're only getting – you know, $3 uh, per billion cubic foot for natural gas, and you want to wait till it goes up to $4, are you going to sit on that gas? Because there's no place really to store it anymore. Or are you just going to take the $3? A lot of operators would just take the $3, make some money instead of no, no money. Um, but if the production is waning down, if it's the production is decreasing, then of course the demand stays the same and actually will start going up depending on how severe a winter is. And so you could see the price of natural gas get above four dollars. It's it's in the realm of possibilities. I don't actually think it will happen, but it you know it's, it's it is in the realm of possibilities that it could happen. So this this is really dependent on a lot of operators deciding to cut back on production. And how bad our winter is right. and what happens with storage. Right. right. And so there's a lot of moving parts. And you know, I don't have a crystal ball. As far as I know, Seeking Alpha doesn't have a crystal ball. So th this is one of the possible things that could happen. Okay. So, um, so let's talk about something that did happen. Downstream offers integrated majors a ray of sunshine amid stormy second quarter. Of course, we've been hitting on this uh as a theme, and this is um, kind of pulling it all together. So let's talk about it. 
Yeah, so basically the majors or the super majors or the IOCs, whatever you want to call them, these are the companies that do it all, upstream, midstream, downstream, and some service. There's only five of them. It's ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, Total. Um, I left one out somewhere. Anyway. Um, Royal Dutch Shell. Yeah, Shell, yeah. So um, so these companies, their upstream parts of their portfolio are hurting right now. Of course, so look at the price of crude. But their downstream parts of their portfolio are doing very well. And then if you're lucky enough that you have diversity in your downstream, you actually have petrochemicals like Exxon does. And Chevron has a joint venture with uh, ConocoPhillips called Chevron Phillips. Then those are doing really well. Right. So th it's, it's the strategy of the super major is – Whenever one part of my business isn't doing well, I make money somewhere else. And that's, you know, one of the things that James, you and I both do with our clients, you know, just because upstreams hurt right now does not mean that we can't help our clients on the downstream side of the entry, which is flush with cash right now, tons of money. Right. So, um, and that's the same strategy that, that the super majors use. And that's what this article is about. It's showing that the, yes, they're hurting on the upstream side of the house, but downstream they're doing good. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and yeah, and on that point, as far as, you know, us helping our clients with what we really mean by that is is we're both very sales focused actually i didn't even mention up front um my so i usually we start off with i'm um, james Hahn the second from tribe rocket we have our new tagline um which is targeted traffic qualified leads close sales and then you mark uh mark with modal point we're the oil and gas sales experts right and and so both of us help people and and i'm more on the demand generation lead front and and mark is more on the on the research side uh helping people find the exact place in a particular in in oil and gas in which segment where they might be where they are a fit as far as solving a problem Darn good job explaining my business, James. That oh, was good. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, and so, so what we're saying here is that if you're a vendor in oil and gas and, and you've been strictly focused upstream, you don't have to struggle and in, in, in hate life <laughs> until oil no. prices rebound. There's a lot of opportunity out there for you to kind of shift, pivot, if you will, um, your business a little bit and start selling selling services and products down downstream or midstream yeah there's money everywhere folks you just got to know where to look yeah so speaking of which how to accurately bid a large downstream project so this was this was shocking to see this in our list of stories i love the article um project management the science of project management is a huge driver of profitability in the oil and gas industry and a lot of people don't know that you have these enormous mega projects you know some of them get close to 100 billion dollars of investment over a 50-year lifetime and your ability to effectively manage that that project the deliverables the start dates budgets is what makes you profitable or not makes you profitable and this is a very good article um written by um who actually wrote this? They're talking about it, Brad. Brad Thompson, Thompson from uh, he's uh in the Austin office but he's with King and Spalding so shout out to you Brad yeah, Brad, this is just this is a great article talking about the importance of good project management and the rigor needed to make sure that a project is implemented, both from the project owner standpoint. So say it's an Exxon refinery upgrade, both from that Exxon and then from the, the vendor and the contractors. When you go bid on that project, you better know what you're bidding on and you be able to be able to manage your end of the project, your deliverables, your your execution, all that sort of stuff, your timeframes. And if you can't, you can be upside down in the deal. So just this is a very well-written article, folks. If, if you want to get a feel for what goes on oil and gas, you need to read this. Yeah. So, and if and if you want to see all of the stories that we talk about on the show, you can go to triberocket.com forward slash tw24 on this one. Um, so it's it's always slash tw24. 
and then including the episode number. So this one would be TW24, and and as I said, how to accurately bid a large downstream project. Now, this last one with uh, BP doesn't necessarily have a headline, but it got a heck of a lot of clicks through your Twitter account, um, Mark. So what's going on with BP in Toledo, Ohio? So this is a joint venture. This is a refinery. In, this, uh, in Toledo, Ohio. And the reason I put this out on my Twitter feed is I like to give people a feel for the reality. This is one refinery BP has. It's not even all of theirs. They're partners with somebody else. And they produce enough gasoline each day that they could pow- they could fuel 95,000 ambulances a day. 95,000 3.8 million gallons a day? That, yeah, and that's one refinery. <laughs> They produce enough jet fuel. At the same time that they produce enough fuel to fuel these 95,000 ambulances a day, they also at the same time produce enough jet fuel for a commercial airliner to fly around the world seven times a day, right? <laughs> and and enough diesel that 700 semi-trucks could drive from New York to Los Angeles and back on each day. Now, this is one refinery. This gives you a feel for the enormous output of a single refinery. Wow! Uh, yeah, I had no freaking clue that um, my mind is blown. That is that is absolutely insane. That in one day, that's what happens in in Ohio uh, with 625 employees. Yeah, and the refining capacity of the U.S. is in our backyard, James, in the Gulf Coast. We have the largest and the best refineries, literally in the world, right here in, in the Gulf Coast. This this BP Husky joint venture is not even a big refinery. You know, that's what that's I'm thinking, and that's that's why my mind is just like you know, just I can't believe it because I think about the ones that I see over over just around town, and and this has to be small small potatoes compared to what they're doing out there. Yeah, it, it is, but you know. This gives hopefully gives people a feel for the scope of the output of the downstream side of, of the house. I mean, this is a ridiculous number. When you think about ninety five thousand ambulances, you know, and you think about seven hundred semi trunks, and you think about um, a commercial airline to fly around the world seven times a day, all in one day, and that's one refinery puts that out. That's that that's awesome. That's awesome. I wish they had an embed code. Um, yeah. So so BP, uh, your social team, come on, guys. Give me an embed code so I can throw this on a blog post, this, this image. That would be amazing. Um, all right, let's, let's get into the commercial break. Many of y'all listening to this show are small business owners just in the oil field, just like Mark and I. Whether you're upstream pushing through downtimes, midstream fighting for market share, downstream trying to move inventory, or a small service company looking to boost sales, we all need revenue. Like any skill, growing a business isn't easy. It takes persistence, patience, tenacity, and guidance. And that's why starting in September, and we've been doing a lot of market research calls, and I'm starting to get excited because everybody is is saying this sounds like something they definitely um, – the market wants apparently. So that's, that, that, that's always good because Mark taught me how to do that research. <laughs> Before I got excited. Um, so that's why starting, uh, yeah, so we said uh, September, we're launching Oilfield Revenue University. Discover how to drive website traffic, leads, and sales on a scale that was once only available to industry giants. These are the same strategies I used to build Drilling Info's online platform and the same tactics that Mr. Mark LaCour used to completely transform his business. Modal Point went from having a team of cold callers uh, trying to get their foot in the door and mark on planes all around the world to now uh, he, he doesn't have the cold calling team anymore, but he has a couple people handling his inbound leads. And 
that is uh, that is quite a success story, not to mention the fact that he closed the largest deal in his company's history, 10x his average deal size. So learn how to maximize and convert trade show leads, create print ads that get results, and rapidly grow your email list. And, and, and if that's not enough, but wait, there's more. Take out billion-dollar competitors by ranking first on Google for search phrases across your oil field niche. And there's uh, just go... Go search oil and gas sales experts, and, and you'll see what I mean. So for more information, visit triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue. Triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue. Oilfield Revenue University, a proven step-by-step guide to exponential revenue growth for small oilfield businesses. Again, that's triberocket.com forward slash TW Revenue. And Mark, I think I finally have a, a weekly onion that, that you have some interest in. So um, fan can't believe he left 11, he, he left 11 seconds in the Ronda Rousey fight. And I love, I love the quote. Uh, the first five or six seconds were pretty boring, so I decided to just head out of the arena, you know, so I could beat the traffic. And uh, that's uh, anybody, who, anybody who knows me, uh, Mr. Jim Rohn, he talks about that a lot. Oh, you're going to beat the traffic. What, what kind of, you know, what kind of accomplishment is that? But she destroyed that girl. What was it 24, 28 seconds? Yeah, less than 30 seconds. And, and she's done that for her whole professional career. Now, now I love uh, I love Rhonda a lot. Her and I both um, started in judo, so we have that in common. Not that we have anything else in common. <laughs> um, but the thing that I, I, I just – I'm waiting for somebody to do, everybody meets her head on, right? Yeah. Why would you meet somebody that is so strong on the ground head on? I, I've yet to see somebody actually duck and weave with her, actually move her around the ring. Um, I'm waiting for somebody to do that. But, you know, if you're in the ring with Ronda Rousey and she comes right at you, the worst thing you can do is stand your ground. And that's what <laughs> right. these fighters do. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, her signature is to get them in the ground and get them in an arm bar. And I've watched a lot of these Brazilian jiu-jitsu chicks think they're going to go to the ground with Ronda Rousey. Well, I'm sorry. You've been doing BJJ for three years. She's been doing judo for 25 years. <laughs> you don't stand a chance on the ground with her. You know, run, <laughs> run, just run away, Move around the ring, just, run. do the Floyd Mayweather dance. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Because they, they're just serving up their face and she's like, okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And she's become quite a striker too. This last fight, she took that chick out with two shots to the two, two shots with a fist and one elbow to the temple. And she KO'd that chick. So, you know, good for Rhonda. Well, I'll have to find it. Um, cause I, I just happened upon it. I'll, I'll see if I can find the interview and throw it in the, in the show notes. Um, because I actually watched an interview with her just the other day, just after her first professional win, which, you know, looking at where she is now to then, um, but it was hilarious because she said, um, apparently the, the, the other woman that she was fighting was disrespectful to her and she's like, yeah, she disrespected me. So I was going to break her arm. That was my goal. (laughs) Yeah. I think that was the Mia Tate fight fight and she did break her arm. Yeah, yeah, so so relentless, <laughs> relentless. All right, let's get into uh, let's get into the events. Um, we've got uh, so triberocket.com forward slash events will take you straight to Mark Lacour's uh, uh, page where he, you can uh, put your email in there and he will send you all of the events that are happening. Um, you know, a lot of the sort of exclusive events that you can't hear about anywhere else as well as uh, the trade shows and conferences and everything going around the world. And, and we've got, we've got some, some, some local events to talk about first. So it, it's the CEB Houston, and it's kind of complicated, so break it down. <laughs> yeah, so CEB is a big management um, uh, talent firm uh, that um, 
I've known for quite a while, and they're doing this really cool event. So they're here for two days. They have their experts, and they're doing an event on retirement, not in what do you need to do to retire, but what happens when most of your workforce is getting ready to retire, you know, the great crew change. And then they're also doing something on HSE or safety. So they have their experts here and you're and they're doing it for two days. So they're they're both breakfasts and lunches. So if you want to go to the safety lunch one day and the the retirement breakfast the next or vice versa, you're welcome to it. And it's all free. It's, it's if you're on my mailing list, you got free invites to this stuff. Um but it's it's if you have an interest in either um, safety and oil and gas, or what are you gonna do during a great crew change when most of your people are to retire? You need to be at one of these events. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, I might have to go sit in on this EB retirement wave because that sounds yeah, like I'll a be really there. really good uh, session. Nomads dinner uh, meeting is the same night. And yeah, so that's the Nomads is is the last bastion of the good old boy network in oil and gas. I love these people. Um, you would think I could remember what Nomad stands for. It's like North American Manufacturers Delegates or something. But this is the National Oil Wells, the FMCs, um, the Camerons. This is all the manufacturers in oil and gas. And they have usually have a, a great speaker and they have a, a nice dinner. It's uh, you know, the dress is business. So like I said, it's a bit bit of the good old boy network, but it's just good people. And the nice thing is the guy sitting next to you is probably like a senior VP at Cameron. And the guy sitting on the other side of you, you know, is is probably a director at, you know, um, national oil well it's this is some heavy hitters in this room all right i gotta get there and that's 11 august 11th at the hess club which is near the galleria if you're here in right. in houston and, and and if you're not here in houston you better get here for summer nape that's wednesday august 19th through friday the 21st that's the north american petroleum expo it's a Wait. deal show it's an actually north american prospect expo prospect expo expo yeah, sorry so let me everybody let me tell you what the, the advantage of going to nape is besides it's a great show this is the only show on the planet in oil and gas that i know of where everybody that's going to that show is in the mood to either sell something or, or buy, buy something, something. <laughs> right this these are prospects and oil and gas a prospect is somebody that has mineral rights somewhere so this is um, companies and individuals that have mineral rights that they want to sell and then there these are people and companies that show up that want to buy mineral rights and so it drives a different vibe this is this is a great event if you're a vendor of any kind to meet people who are in the mood to buy stuff or sell stuff. And James, you and I both will be there, right? I, I, I never miss Nape. Absolutely. Yeah, not. Absolutely not. We've got some plans for winter Nape, but we'll get into that later. Um, it might involve some bands and some ridiculousness. Um, all right. So come and come over and join us in the LinkedIn group, triberocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. Um, we're getting a lot of people joining. We're starting to get some more people uh, uh, leaving comments and sharing stories. So thank you to everyone over there. Um, so anything to add on the LinkedIn group? Yeah. If So if you listen to the podcast, you need to be a member of our LinkedIn group. They go hand in hand. They're like bread and butter, right? You, you bread and butter, baby. It. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was fun for me this week. Uh, um, I can't remember uh, off the top of my head uh, his name, but one of our members uh, posted a blog. And Cornelius. Yes. Yeah. Corn yeah. yeah. Cornelius. Yeah. He posted he a blog. Gave him some free coaching, which was awesome. Was I did. I did give him some free coaching. And because I, you know, that's one of the great things. That's, that's my mission, right? Um, is, is to fundamentally change the communication culture in the largest industry on earth. That's our stated mission statement. And, and so I was able to go and look at his blog and then, and then rewrite the first section and in, in a more kind of conversational uh, tone and it sort of explain what I did and why I did it and so forth. So yeah, go check that out. Triberocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. And then also triberocket.com forward slash reviews will take you straight to the iTunes store where you like 
Layla Crispus, <laughs> I practiced that before we got on. Layla Crispus, she gave us a five-star review. Thank you, Layla Crispus. I look forward to the show and love the personality. So whoever calls us geeks and nerds, Layla Crispus, shout out to her. <laughs> because yeah, and, and folks, I, I'm not going to go into this thing because I do it every show, but go, go give us a review. Can we do this for you? All I'm asking you is just please just go give us a review. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we've given you uh, a couple calls to action in a row and we're going for the big one and it has to do with seven essential strategies to make trade show leads paying customers i was at Motopoint point headquarters with mr mark lacour unbelievable this guy's got green screen he's got the lights he's got the whole thing going on so tell him about the video mark yeah so james and i put together some very impactful information if you're an exhibitor at trade of trade shows, you need to see this to make sure you, you actually convert these people that are walking by that you don't know who they are to actual prospects. And then I cannot believe James is doing this. We're actually you're actually giving this away for free, James. I mean, yeah. we could sell this. <laughs> I know I could. I know I could. And that's the whole point is it's utility, which is a Jay Bear term, and the definition of that is marketing that's so good people would pay for it. And so you can text trade show altogether, just text trade show to 33444, and as soon as I get it produced and everything over the over the weekend, because I said this on the last show, um, but we actually got it taped this time, or recorded this time. There's no tape involved anymore. Um, but yeah, or you can go to my blog and uh, sign up for the email list because this is going to be the, the bribe, as we call it, the giveaway, the free gift in exchange for your email address. And um, man, I'm excited. I'm super excited because it goes hand in hand with our new uh, tagline, you know, and everything like that. So I don't think I have anything else. What about you, Mark? Yeah, it's uh, folks. It, we really enjoy you, you um, listen to us in our in our show here. And there's a couple of things that we've asked you to do. Go do them, please. <laughs> it, it allows us to keep doing this show. We we can't keep doing this you know forever without a little bit of help from you. So if you know if you could go out and give us a review, that's great. Sign up. You know, do the text to get the seven essential strategies to make trade show leads paying customers. I mean, that's just valuable stuff. Um, but, but other than that, you know, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Quick goofing off, let's let's get to it.